what we've done in the last, last Sunday, we started a new series. We call them the Red Letter Podcast. Traditionally, it's been called the Sermon on the Mount. Not that we can improve on what people have been calling it for a thousand years, but we just thought we'd mess with it a little bit. In the passage, it actually says that Jesus went and sat on the mountainside. That's why they call it the Sermon on the Mount, right? But in my mind, if he's sitting down, it feels a whole lot more like a podcast. Like he's, he's relaxed and he's speaking to a group of people in front of him, kind of like I am, in a, but in a much more relaxed fashion, teaching them what, what he wants them to know about the kingdom. So Red Letter, if you, you haven't figured this out with your Bible, or, or 15 country songs that refers to Red Letters, it's the part in the Bible where Jesus is speaking. It's quoting Jesus. So call it the Red Letter Podcast, and we're just naming each sermon accordingly. I feel like this weird amount of pressure. I mean, anytime you teach the Bible, God's Word, there's a, uh, there's a pressure to it because it's His words. There's power in His words. And this one in particular, I just keep imagining Jesus uh, in a pretty laid-back way with, with at the very beginning of His ministry really giving maybe the most famous sermon of all time, like, like this clear message of who he wants us to be. So, so what I like to do is pray over us as I read these words and speak about these words and use my words as best I can. The Holy Spirit will take God's words and give them to us. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, I, I do ask that you would... Um, make my mouth work right, the right words would come out of it. But even more importantly, I pray that you would make sense of your word to us, each of us, and every seat in the room, and us as a group. Holy Spirit, that you would really move in here. That uh, when we depart from this room, we'd be able to say that you moved. You, you know us, Lord. Some of us have tasted that before. We've seen you move, we've experienced it, and yet as time passes, it becomes uncomfortable, and we don't want to experience that anymore. We'd rather just go to church. Although we, we want those two things to be the same here. We want going to church to mean that you move, and so we ask that, ask that you'd help us get over ourselves, to get over whatever hurdle keeps us from wanting to experience your movement. Some in the room have never experienced that, Father. You know that. You know the ones I don't. I don't know who they are, but I really want that for them, Lord. Please, Holy Spirit, explain who God the Father and God the Son are. Give them uh, the joy that many of us have been able to experience because of your work. Holy Spirit, take your words, the words that Jesus spoke. Take your words and... Bring them to life for us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Red Letter Podcast, we named our first episode, 001, Real Blessed. And we spent some time going through uh, just a very famous passage in the Bible called the Beatitudes. It says in the passage, God blesses those who are poor in spirit, who mourn, who are meek, we're merciful, and it goes on. It, it just lists this long list of the people God blesses, the people that God shows favor to. And the list is tough. It's tough to read. We spent a bunch of time on it. If you missed it last week, you can go back and listen to it. But at the end, we said God blesses those who humble themselves. 
Like, like, don't pray for him to humble you. He's really good at it, right? Like, he, he can get that job done. Instead, God blesses those who humble themselves. So it's this attitude of humility as we uh, walk this earth. And then later in the passage, he kind of makes this transition. He, he goes from saying God blesses to verse 11. I want to read it to you. God blesses you. He moves from those to second person, you. So I'm going to point at you a lot today, and no offense, I'm a part of you, right? Like, but he starts talking to us, to, to you, is what he says. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things about you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. All of a sudden, here we are sitting in, in, in an old grocery store, right, in Lexington. Jesus speaking to us, the disciples, like he was speaking to those disciples. And he equates us with the great prophets of the Old Testament. You see that? Like he says, and remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. He says, you are going to be persecuted. Be glad about it. You're a part of this ongoing team that represents me with the truth on the earth. And when we say you, it obviously applies to the disciples who are listening to him in real time when the Sermon on the Mount is delivered. They're sitting on the mountainside. They're listening to him. But it also applies to all those who've been his followers, to all disciples. So if you believe in Jesus, these verses are spoken to you. But they're also spoken to the Christians in China today that have a lot less freedom to you. When we read those verses, he, when he says, God blesses those when people mock you, they know exactly what he's talking about. Many of them are gathered in houses, so nobody knows they're meeting today, worshiping Jesus. Many of the believers, like a large percent of the believers in China, oh, oh, are over 100 million followers of Jesus in China have been in jail because of their faith. And he said, God blesses you when the government hates me and you stay true to me. It's a, uh, it's a really interesting moment for us to consist, consistently like, center ourselves and remind ourselves that we're the you. And the you crosses the whole world. So the you looks way different all over the world. Speaking different languages, it's so easy to kind of get caught up in our world and think that we're the only you. Instead, there's this huge group of people across the earth celebrating Jesus today. It's the you. But it also goes back. It goes back in history. It goes all the way back to the cross and the resurrection. And there's all these people that have lived since Jesus to now. That's the church. It's the you. It's who he's speaking to. He's telling them who to be. He's telling them to humble themselves in the Beatitudes. And then he makes this transition. This transition and he starts using the pronoun you. Check out verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. So he looks at the disciples. He looks at us. And he says, quite real simply, you are the salt of the earth. So we decided to title this, this one of the podcasts, 002 Real Salty. Right? Some of y'all are real salty. I've met you. You're just real salty, right? Like, but in this passage, we're actually saying, hey, you need to be real sodium chloride right? Like that, like we want you to really do your job. In, in ancient times, 
Salt certainly flavored stuff, but its primary use was to preserve things. So if you had some meat, you would salt it real heavy to make it decay slower. You wanted to delay, delay the decay. In our world, what do we do? We put it in the refrigerator. We delay the decay. Cheryl says the dates don't mean anything, right? Like we got to drink milk like two weeks after the date. Some of y'all think that's why we don't get sick. See, we drink that milk all the way till it's nasty. Anyway, like it's a, she says you can smell it, right? Because it's refrigerated. Anybody got like the box freezer? Anybody got, anybody got the box? You ain't got some venison in your box freezer? Thank you, thank you. I'm, I thought we were in South Carolina. Yeah, we got a box freezer at my house. We had to move it every time we moved. And one particular time we were moving and we stored it at my brother's shop. And uh, when I went to get it, I had my appliance jack and I'm going to take our box freezer. Israel, I think I saw it. I think Israel might have been with me. I'm not sure which son was with me, but I had the appliance jack. And when I got there, the little red light on front of the box freezer, you know what I'm talking about? It wasn't on. So, like, you know, I'm kind of optimistic. Maybe the light burned out. That's how I think. So I opened the lid, and if you know how these things work, it was raunch, right? I can still remember the color. As a Clemson fan, I'm, I'm sad to say it was orange in there, <laughs> and it reeked. She had some kind of seasoned chicken that was all cut up in bags in there, and they'd gone to mush. You can imagine it. And when I, when I opened that thing, that stuff hit my face, and I've got my 12-year-old behind me, and I really wanted to Ralph, no offense, Ralph, uh, <laughs> right there in the moment. Like, I was all I could do to control my body because of the smell, because of the rank. And so... <laughs> I began to pull these bags out. You ever tried to get something out when you get to the bottom of a box freezer? Yeah, anybody done this? Like you're down in it, right? Like you're down in. I'm putting my face down in this. I'm pulling these bags out, and I'm putting them in big, hefty bags. And, and my 12-year-old, Israel, I don't remember if it was you or not, but they did not seem to want to help, right? Like it was one, it was one of them moments where I couldn't really blame them because I, I had to do what I had to do. So I put, we put them all in these bags and decided to take it to the dump. We put it in the back of a pickup truck, and when we pulled up Anybody been to the recycling center on Tuesday? It's closed. <laughs> I got these hefty bags full of nasty meat that just reek, and I back, I pull up to the, I'm like, what am I going to do? I don't remember if it was you, Israel, but I backed the truck up. Y'all forgive me. I looked around. I jumped that fence, baby. <laughs> I, I jumped from the back of the pickup truck over the fence and had whichever son was with me throw the nastiness over the fence. And then I'd run up to the dumpster and throw it in. One of them clipped the little top of the fence and cut the bag open. It was, and I got, oh, it was so nasty. <laughs> Just rotten. So in olden days, as in our days with the fridge or the freezer, in olden days you put salt on it so it wouldn't rot, so you could delay the decay. And so in reality, Jesus is saying to his followers, to you, you're the salt of the world. You're supposed to keep the world from turning rotten. That's a massive responsibility. We're supposed to delay the decay. That's our job. When I was in my 20s, I heard Tony Evans a ton. He was my favorite. And I still remember him. He, uh, cassette tapes, listened to a preach. Kind of had in my mind that the problem was the world was, uh, I had all kind of answers for that. Right? Like it was the government. It was the government's fault. It was our school system's fault. It was other nations' fault. I had all these reasons why the world was rotten. You know what Tony Evans said in the message? He said it was our fault. He said it was my fault. 
He said that it's the church's fault. That we were put here as salt to preserve this place so that it, would, just so it wouldn't rot. The reason that it's rotting, he says, because we're not doing our job. It was, it was great and hard to hear. And I, I want you to hear it because today we, we've got a responsibility. We've got a responsibility to be salty. That's why here at Radius we say we want to make disciples, plant churches, and live generously because we want to be salty in our community. We want to prevent them from moving to decay. Now, I only had two semesters of chemical engineering at Clemson, but I do know that sodium chloride does not get unsalty. Anybody else know that? Like you can't make salt not get salty. So what's he talking about in the passage? It's, like, it's very difficult to pull apart sodium and chloride. So what's Jesus saying? Obviously, he created both sodium and chloride, chlorine, and, and he was really good with them joining their lives together to become, to become salt, right? Like, and they stay that way. What's, what's he saying? Well, how can you make salt less salty? You dilute it, right? You put some salt in a cup and you fill it up with hot water and it dilutes in the water and you taste it. It tastes a little nasty. You swirl around your mouth. Probably good for you, but it tastes nasty. But then, then you put more water in it and more water and more hot water and more hot water. And guess what happens? Eventually, you can barely taste the salt. It has no purpose anymore. It starts to lose its way. And Jesus is saying to them, hey, you are the salt of the earth. Don't get diluted. Don't let all this stuff going on around you dilute how you were designed to bless this earth by delaying its decay. And then he moves on to use another metaphor. So this would be his second metaphor to say the same thing. He's actually telling you and me how we can make a stamp on this earth. Or in reality, how we can make his stamp on this earth. One, you can be salt. And then he says... You are the light of the world. No pressure, <laughs> right? You, we're the light of the world. I was thinking, man, if you call it real salty, what do you call it for light? Now, I, I was thinking maybe real lit. Can I say that? Younger people, does that sound bad coming out of 55-year-old mouth? It, we're supposed to be real lit. For thousands of years, when you said lit, it meant to light something like the lights, for the last hundred years, that means that you got drunk. He's lit, right? That means he's drunk. Well, in reality, if you flip the Acts, Peter, they actually accuse him of being drunk. So it could work for that too because he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's, you know how the drunk guy feels like he can fight anybody? Well, when it's evidently, when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you got this confidence that you shouldn't be able to have. And then the young people these days, in the last decade, some rapper started with the word lit, I'm sure, at some point, And now lit means exciting or excellent. So what if somebody left Radius Church and said, that was lit? <laughs> be accurate. At least we hope that it would be. He says to me and you to be real lit. You are the light of the world. Check out how he, how he explains it. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Get on the interstate tonight after, after dark and ride down the road. And as soon as you start getting near a city, you can see it a ways off. Even though we got all the lights on the cars and, and on the side of the road, you can see that city kind of glowing up ahead. But if you were to go to ancient times and there was a city up on a hill, you could see it for 100 miles just with candlelight 
or fires burning in the town at night. That bit of light in that one space in pitch darkness, you could see the city far off and saying, that's who you're supposed to be. You're the light of the world. And then he identifies it even more clearly. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed upon a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. I got a little demonstration, a little science project for you. This is a candle. How about turning them lights out back there? He says, you are the light of the world. Look at that. I can see all y'all on your phones busted. See that? <laughs> and we're supposed to share that with everybody. We're in this dark room. We're supposed to share that with everybody. Here at Radius, a lot of times we talk about you times two. So taking my, the light that the Lord has trusted me with and sharing it with someone else. And guess what happens to the room? It just adds that much more light. And if I could multiply them more and have them moving across the room, that'd be cool. That crazy? You are the light of the world. But then he says, man, don't put that up under a bucket. Does it make any sense in all of this darkness for you to take the light and put it up under a bucket so that nobody can see? For you to consume all the good news yourself? Enjoy the light yourself, but not share it with others. It's almost embarrassing, isn't it, when you see it like this? You can flip those lights back on. Thank you. You are the light of the world. Last night, I was experimenting here, and uh, one translation says basket. So I went back in, in the room, ladies, forgive me for this, and I took a basket, and I put it over this, and then I ran back there to turn the lights off. Before I could get there, I could smell it burning. I ran back up. By the way, there's a little black mark on that basket back there, right? <laughs> like, I had to pull it off. It smelled for a while. I got it out before this morning. But, like, there's this, there's this pressure on us, Jesus placing, saying, you are the light of the world. Don't cover it up. Allow it to burn. Where's the light come from? Like, obviously, evidently, we're not born with it. I'll read you a passage in uh, John. Jesus says about himself, I am the capital L, we should have put, of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. So he's talking about a life that you don't already have at birth. Instead, you get it when you're born again. He says, I am the light, capital L of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. So evidently, he's the light, and we can reflect that. So it's not, it's not where do we get the light, it's who do we get the light from? Jesus, the light. John Piper sums that up. He says, letting our light shine will be our eternal vocation. So once you believe, you are lit. And whether you're covering your light now or not, you're lit, and you will be lit for all eternity because his light was placed inside of you. 
So he says, I am the light of the world. And then he speaks to us and says, you are the light of the world. He passes along the responsibility, but really all we can do is reflect his great light. He never runs out of light. He's always light. He never reduces light. But you and I, we have the opportunity to reflect his light. He doesn't need us. He lets us be the light of the world. I think sometimes we just totally miss that. We take it as a burden instead of a privilege. It's a responsibility for sure. When he says, you are the light of the world, it's a responsibility for sure. But it's also this gift. He trusts us with his light so that we can share with others. I, I, I want to put it up there in a different translation. This is the NIV, just this one verse. This is verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Notice who's, like, like the you in there is all secondary. He says, it's supposed to be shine before others. So evidently, Christianity, if you're a believer in Jesus, is not supposed to be private. It's supposed to be public. It's supposed to be publicly portrayed. And then why do we do it? To glorify your Father. So like, it's for them and it's for him and we're supposed to do it. So, so like, like we're, we're not the only part of the package that we are is to give it to others. One, to glorify him, and, and on the other hand, so that others can see him. He says how to do it. It's very uh, simple in some ways in the passage. He says that um, we may see your good deeds and so that they may see your good deeds. That's how you're going to shine, with good deeds. Jesus do good deeds? Good grief, he did some you know, stellar good deeds. You know, when he saw the lady who, who uh, couldn't walk, what did he do? He healed her. When he saw the blind man, he healed him publicly. Everybody could see it often. A lot of times he'd want to hold back their, their wanting to make him the king, but he did want the father to be glorified, and he blessed them. You remember the story where he goes to the wedding? They have this great wedding. At the end, the bride, is the family is embarrassed because they, they run out of wine, and Jesus takes H2O, and he turns it into wine. Remember that story? Baptists won't forget that story, right? Like, that, that water, wine, thank God, throws everything up. But, like, he turns water to wine, and, and he, he blesses the family so they can celebrate. He's constantly doing good works, but he, he has a purpose for them. They're not about him. He didn't turn the water into wine so that, so that they could talk about everybody. They, he wanted to glorify his father. Tony Evans kind of sums up what a good work is. A good work is a righteous and biblically authorized action that is beneficial to others and for which God gets the credit. That's a bunch of big words, but I like it because the very end of it says God gets the credit. What you got going on like that? Hey, the kid at school tomorrow, like the middle school kid, he's sitting alone. The high school girl is sitting alone. What, what if you went and sat with him or her? And made conversation. I know they may be awkward. I was that kid. I was shy. I didn't really know. And I was a little proud, so I didn't want to. So I sit by myself, and it was crazy good when somebody would come sit with me and make conversation. I wasn't the greatest conversationalist. If a girl sat with me, I blushed. But man, that's that's a good thing to do. What's a generous thing you could do in the next 24 hours? I'm not talking about putting money in the in the thing in the back on the way out of church. I'm talking about who, who could you be generous to? Who could you invite over to the house? 
Hospitality is a form of generosity. Could you bake some cookies and walk in the neighborhood and be generous? He's saying, one, that brings glory to God, but it also shines light for others. Some of us that have been following Jesus for a long time, like those things become like we've done them a bunch, and then we kind of go into this like pause mode. I just want to encourage you, Radius Church, those of y'all that call this your home, we named ourselves after this. We said we were never going to stop radiating the goodness of God to our neighbors. Super Bowl party's coming up this week. Might need to clean the house. Have some people over. You don't need to buy a bigger TV just to get you off the hook, everybody. Like, like you don't need to buy a bigger TV, but like, you might, might need to clean the house and have some people over. At worst, bake some cookies. Let's make this thing happen. Let's go talk to somebody. He says that he's trusting us with the light. He says, you are the light of the world. And the way you're the light is through good deeds. Does morality, morality apply? So for the the teenager that determines he's going to wait until he's married or she's going to ra- wait until they're married to have sex. Does that apply? Absolutely applies. It's light. So you're like, boy, I already blew that. And nothing, I, ain't no way I'm going to ever be that. Well, you can start now. Like morality does apply. Like it's, it's, it's not everything. Like reaching out to your neighbors is a really important part of the thing. But also as we walk with God and try to obey him, we actually can bring him glory by obeying his word. So it's our job, 29072 if you live here, 29073 if you live down the road, to keep this part of our world lit. It's on you. The Midlands, Radius Church, we're fighting to keep the Midlands lit. There's other churches in the mix. We love working with them, but he's trusted us with that responsibility. The state of South Carolina, the United States of America, is the United States of America going to stay lit? Oh, no. Anybody watch the Chinese balloon flying over this, 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 uh, on the news this week? I, it thrilled my soul that it was shot down over South Carolina. Anybody else? <laughs> my soul. <laughs> They're claiming a plane shot it down. You know Cletus over there in Orrery County. He's been hiding that gun. <laughs> He's like, I got a scope that'll get that, right? Like, he led it a little bit and put it down. He's going to tell that story the rest of his life. That's us. That's South Carolina. That's who we are. But let me tell you something about China. Communist government, quite honestly, at this point, from a government standpoint, they're our enemies. But China is lit. There's a, over 100 million Chinese meeting in house churches, being persecuted for the gospel. It is lit. Let me remind you of those verses I read earlier. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you. And because you are my followers, if you ever met a Chinese Christian, <laughs> they seem a lot happier than us. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. Remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. When they read this passage and he said, you are salt of the earth, you are light of the world. The Chinese Christians, despite who their government is, stopped whining about the government and spent time in the little pieces of God's word that they can get. I heard a, a, a fellow last service met a Chinese Christian. They actually have these little 
these little things they put on a drive now so that they can they shake it and they can read God's word so they won't get caught. And they've now put it to the point where they can swallow it if they get caught with it. Because they want God's word. And they pass it to their neighbor at risk of going to jail. China. China's lit. Are we? Or have we become so safe? So careful that we just keep getting darker. You would think that would be the dark place, wouldn't you? Well, the government's dark. People aren't. Tertullian, a great church father, wrote, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. I don't know if when folks are persecuted for the cross, if it, if it ignites the fire or if because of the persecution it's just darker so the light looks brighter. I'm not sure how that all works out. But there is no question as you look at church history and history in general. When the church suffers, oftentimes she casts this amazing light. Pastor Jens, with this one phrase, I've said it a bunch. I want to try to bring a little bit of clarity to it. He says, first of all, you are the light of the world. And then he says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. And what's it say at the end? And glorify your Father in heaven. What's the phrase? The chief end of man is to glorify God. John Piper says it like this. In this passage, he explicitly says that our aim in doing good works for others, when you take banana bread to the neighbor, is that they might glorify God. How's banana bread and glorifying God go together, right? Now, I don't know if you have my wife's banana bread. There's some glory in that. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. <laughs> but this says that if she's generous like that, potentially she could glorify God with all the hours that it takes and all the daggone fruit flies in my garage. That could glorify God. How? What does it mean to glorify God? A simple definition of glorify is value or heavy in weight. So everything is measured by the glory of God. He's heavy in weight. So when you glorify God, you, you give the weight to him. It, it shows his value. When you think about weight and gold, you think about value. The heavier it is, the more valuable it is. Well, God is infinitely glorious. All other glory is measured against his. Let me ask you something. Can you add any glory to God? Absolutely not, because he's infinite in value. You can't add to it, but you can't expose it. You can't show other people it. You can't reflect it so that they could see the greatness. So every time you do a good deed, you look like God. And when you look like God, you give him glory. You show his value. God the Father, God the Son. God, the Holy Spirit, they're constantly glorifying one another. Does that seem weird to you? Who else are they going to glorify? They're the ultimate of value. They're the heaviest of weight. They're infinitely heavy in value. John chapter 13 reads like this. The time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. He's talking about the cross. And God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, he will give his own glory to the Son. And he will do so at once. And so God the Father, God the Son, in this passage are glorifying one another. 
It is who we made in the image of God were made. We have this hole inside of us that wants to glorify something, right? The lilies of the field, the Bible says, have glory. And so when we see them, some of us, we see them and we, we celebrate. When we see a great artist, we do something amazing. We glorify it in some way or another. We, we give weight to it. But there's this deep hole that is just left wanting we never get to the point of glorifying God. By the way, if, if, if you have not met Jesus, man, look at us. This isn't, this isn't a room full of people that got it figured out. But we have, we have had him do this work inside of us that has changed us. And we, we have these simple lights that are shining. You know us. Sometimes we cover it. Sometimes we pull it back. You know us. But you, you know that he's done work in us. He wants to do that same work in you. We won't feel any better than you. We're the same as you, except that he gave us light. Now, if you're a believer, he's telling you and me to be the light of the world. He says in the passage that we do it with good works. He demonstrated that obviously on the, cross, on the earth with all kind of good works. But at the end, he demonstrated for us on the cross with the ultimate good work. Jesus hung up high, right, like a candle up on a stand so the whole world could see his light. Let me read it to you and we'll, we'll close. John chapter 12 says, Jesus, now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? This is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name as he prepares to walk to the cross. Can you say the same? I've been wrestling with it all week. I want to say the same. I want to die to my dreams if I must, if it would glorify God. Man, if I had a Chinese Christian and I could bring them up here right now, you would be able to witness someone telling of how they've died to their dreams of the years they spent in prison when they could have been with their kids, right, or their grandkids, of the sacrifice that not, they didn't choose to make that were forced on them simply for speaking the name of Jesus. The question is, will you and I do that this week? Like, if, if, if you're a follower of Jesus and you have been for a long time, I want to ask you, share the truth about Jesus with one person this week. It doesn't have to be Billy Grammish. Just see if it'll come off your tongue. For some of you, it's just been stuck for a long time. Jesus did. He took his light, and he's shown it on the cross, making the greatest sacrifice so that he could give you light. Wouldn't it be a shame to... Put that out in the darkness and then cover it up and rob everybody from seeing what he did. Well, that's what you're doing. That's what I'm doing when we choose to. So we're going to celebrate a death. We do this every Sunday. If you haven't been with us before, it's called communion or the Lord's Supper. We take this simple little cup. A lot of folks in the room that know Jesus will walk up here. Some of them will walk to the back. It almost seems like an absurd thing. We actually say that we're drinking a symbol of the blood of Christ. And we got this little piece of bread in here that breaks when we bite it with our teeth. And we, we actually say that that's a symbol of the broken body of Jesus. 
the greatest deed ever done on this earth to glorify God, but bring the light to others. So Jesus told us to do this. This is odd, <laughs> to be sure. He told us to do this, and so we do it over and over and over, week after week after week, because we never want to forget this good deed. And as you take it, determine in your heart that you're going to sacrifice as well for your radius. Let's pray together.